1994. Primetime animation is given new life thanks to the success of a little show called The Simpsons. So what happens when some of those creators want to go out on their own and do something else? Well, let's focus on an uppity New Yorker who thinks that everything stinks. The Critic. Everybody, welcome back as we talk about our second chances, our second second chances chance, The Critic. We watched the first six episodes of this animated series from 1994, starring John Lovitz as Jay Sherman, the film critic, uh, the fake film critic, of course, and the antics that he and his crew get up to. Miles, how you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. So this this was your your choice. And so I kind of wanted to go a little bit into uh, why you felt this one uh, deserved a second chance. And that, that I mean that uh, not sarcastically, like what, what was it about this show when we were coming up with what to do this month that you were like, man, I really think that the critic deserves a second look because, because honestly, it, it's, it's one of those things where I remember loving this show. I remember loving the show when it was originally on. I remember uh, a specific episode of a different show that I think we will probably talk about because it's a it's an interesting part of the story of this show. And uh, and and honestly, I just I hadn't seen it in so long. The last time I saw it was probably back in the early two thousands on a marathon on comedy central or something like that. And I just wanted to see it again. It's, it's not super available. It's not super talked about, but, and, and I feel like we talked about it at some point and you had mentioned that you either hadn't seen it or didn't get into it. And I was shocked by that. Um, it definitely wasn't that I hadn't seen it because I a hundred percent more or less grew up with watching this show. Um, I don't think I got as attached to it and, I some of my feelings about the show uh, hold a little true even today. There, I'm excited to get into it because I think I think the critic is definitely ripe for a second chances, but also ripe for many things to talk about. I can see, I can honestly see from what what we watched how the show didn't quite pick up the audience it needed to, and why the show grabbed the audience that it did get. Um, and honestly, one of the early criticisms are not, and I don't mean criticisms as in negative, but just one of the critical discussions came from the actual critics, Rob, Rob uh, yeah. Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> yes. The, those critics. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> it was the only television show they ever really discussed on their show. And I think what they had to say was, was pretty excellent because they, they wanted more from it. I think they wanted it to escape being Simpsons light in its comedy, which I, I do think is a trap that this show does fall into sometimes. I would, uh, I would agree with that. I think that, that honestly, the big part of this is that, and, and you have to, to realize that Cisco and Ebert are as much as they're giving actual criticism, they're being a little tongue in cheek because this was a 100%. show that was parodying 
them and people like them. Well, see, their their whole thing was they wanted more of him being a critic and his relationship to movies, which honestly, that's what I wanted. I thought they leaned a little too hard in trying to do the um, the, the geeky single dad st- storylines that at least proliferated the first six episodes that we watched. And I, 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 in retrospect, I wish we had bounced around a little more um, because a lot of these critics voiced characters in this show. Siskel and Ebert appear on the show. I don't know if it's late season one or if it's in season two, but uh, they definitely, it must've been season two if they were reviewing it. But, uh, but yeah, they were on it. Uh, Gene Shalit is in one of the episodes we watched. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, Critics. I keep wanting to say comedians, but they're not. They're no. the critics. Uh, but let's let's get into a little bit of the development of this show. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, like you said at the top, this came from the guys who helped give us The Simpsons. Yeah. So like this was this was definitely a big new thing. Yeah. So so the creators of the show are Al Jean and Mike Reese, who uh, are are not creators of The Simpsons, but they were showrunner or they were writers of the first several seasons of the Simpsons. And one of them ended up being the showrunner of the show before they left to do, uh, this and then ended up later on both of them coming back to write, but one of them is currently still the showrunner of the Simpsons. (laughs) So there's a lot of Simpsons DNA in this. It was also produced by, uh, by, by the company that produced the Simpsons Half of the cast on this show is also on The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is uh, James L. Brooks is the executive producer who is the executive producer of a hundred things. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, The Simpsons, of course, Taxi. I think he did. In fact, there is a Taxi reference in this in these first six episodes, which is pretty funny. Uh, but and that's where this this is weird because. This show was not a Simpsons spinoff. It was not intended to be a Simpsons spinoff. No, and Matt Groening was kind of a jerk about it, but he he often spoke out about how he had nothing to do with the show, has, you know, not a Matt Groening show, and wanted to make sure that basically any success or failure the show has, he was not associated with at all. Well, and this is an important thing to, to mention about this because we talk, we're going to talk a lot about this and the Simpsons because of the DNA that the, the show share. This show was not on Fox. It was on ABC at least at first. At first. <laughs> the show was actually canceled by ABC between after the first season, Fox picked it up. And put it along, or put it along the, the was, I think the first uh, animated comedy they put alongside The Simpsons, including a crossover episode. And I remember the crossover episode of The Simpsons fondly. Granted, I was 10 years old, 11 years yeah. old when that episode came out. So I had no, you know, real critical eye for it. I was just happy to see it. And, uh, and apparently that's where a lot of this came in because of the association with The Simpsons when it came to the Fox Sunday night animation block. There were articles going around talking about Matt Groening's show, The Critic, and he wanted to make sure that people knew he was not associated with it. it was well, that not- kind of stuff happens a lot. I mean, Be Cool Scooby-Doo had to do that because 
everyone assumed because they changed their animation style that it was a Seth MacFarlane show because, well, to be fair, they chose a similar style. Speaking of which, man, there is so much Family Guy DNA in this show. Yeah, so that's another thing, and and we'll get into this as we get sort of analytical about what we've watched. Uh, this show was doing the things that Family Guy was famous for about three years too early. Yes, and it's interesting because one of the things that a couple of critics said was, or, or no, one of the things that the, the producers said that they wanted to do was they wanted to fill it with pop culture references, but still make it timeless. And in that, I don't know that they succeed because... I- I don't think they do. I don't think these episodes are timeless. I think elements of these episodes are timeless. But and it's funny because I came, I came in wanting to be t- to discuss this show as an evidence of nostalgia versus being timeless. And because I think I think this show if you lived or are super into the 90s, then this show will 100% be for you. If you did not, you will not care at all. And I know that I can hear you right now, but Miles, you're a big MST3K fan, and they have a bunch of obscure references that no one gets. That is true, but they also uh, couple it with a lot of other jokes that land regardless of the time that these jokes were made. There there were jokes in MST3K that I still don't get. (laughs) They were references that I never got and probably never will because I never cared to look it up. That is, I got all the references in the critic, but I feel like, as you pointed out, it does it did what uh, Family Guy does too early, but I think they did it too much too soon, so that it dated itself very quickly. So, well, there's there's two sides of this. So there is the side of this, and and well, let's let's set up the show because I think that's going to be important. Yeah. Jay, Jay Sherman is a televised film critic. He he is on. New York TV. He's on actually world or nationwide TV. Uh, they really go out of their way to make you not like Jay <laughs> in the first. They make him. I mean, I think one of the things uh, described him as a cold, mean spirited elitist. And yeah, he kind this, of is. This is the opposite of Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson is an everyman. Jay, Jay Sherman is a New York snob. What's funny is he still behaves like Homer Simpson. And that's where some of the some of the humor leaves me a little bit, because I feel like Mm -hmm. what's successful is when they (laughs) when they they lean into Jay being being extremely stuck up. But I mean, even in the opening credits, the first thing you see. Well, sadly, the first thing you see is the Twin Towers, which keep in mind, this was 1994 when this show was airing. And uh, it's and it's so iconic in there and you see MoMA uh, and you see uh, Central Park and you see all of these, you know, really, you know, uh, artistic, uh, wealthy New York elite areas. And, and you know that Jay is <laughs> makes $200,000 a year, which in 1994 money is pretty That's good. Insane. That is insane. And, uh, and and his son. I, I, I wish we got that much money for being <laughs> critics. Yeah. Well, and that's or the other, any or any money. 
for that matter. And that's the other thing. Film critics aren't on TV anymore. They don't like Siskel and Ebert were on TV. Gene Shalit was on TV. They were doing these things. Uh, Ebert stayed on TV until he died. I don't think Roper does TV anymore, but maybe, maybe he does. I just haven't looked. I don't know. Uh, A lot of that stuff moved to the web. So they still did video. It was just on the web. Right. uh, So the show itself is set up with, with this in mind, and you see, typically the show opens with, or the episodes open with uh, Jay's show coming attractions, as we see what is effectively a parody movie trailer that he then responds to, typically with, it stinks. It stinks. Speaking of MST3K. <laughs> but uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... And that, that's where a lot of these references and a lot of these jokes don't necessarily stand the test of time. Like the first episode features a <laughs> a joke about, it's an, a reference to Alien 3. And it's that, that iconic scene in Alien 3 where shaved head Ripley is, is cowering against the wall and the alien comes up right up next to her and its little second mouth pops out. Except in this one, it kisses her. And they both kind of t- do a take to the camera. Yeah, that, that one cracked me up a little bit. Well, what's funny about that is that I just watched Alien 3. I showed Rebecca, my wife, Alien 3 for the first time yeah, last week. <laughs> so we had just seen it. And that was but just... See, something like that is iconic enough that even if it's not specifically a 90s thing, you can be like, all right, that one I can... I can uh, the, uh, the Xenomorphs are so iconic that you can... Okay, Alien Ripley. That one... I get when they, when they get into like Arthur references and random uh, movies that no one probably over the age of 35 has seen or heard of. I, it, that's that's where sometimes well, so, it can make or break it. But some of those references really lean into being film fan references. And, and I agree. For, for, and, and, and those those are super timeless when when Jay sees a poster for the red balloon and he gets excited and he sings this, he sings the little song. I love French films. Uh, yes. Something that, boring that French is, films. Is great. But he also, they were utilizing one of the, one of the most famous French films of all time. That wasn't a specifically a 90s reference because the red balloons a very old film. Yeah. But again, and, and there, I mean, there's an entire episode in what we watched that is, a take on Mr. Smith goes to Washington with yes. multiple references. And, and those work really, really well. I agree. When they, when they do movie parodies in the actual plot, I think that's when the show really gets me. Like when they did misery, I thought that was so much fun. And we haven't even talked about because of who saves him, his, his best friend, <laughs> his best friend, Australian uh, actor, um, Jeremy Hawk. Jeremy Hawk, yeah. Who is voiced by Maurice LaMarche, who is a a very well-known voice actor. He uh, was the brain on Pinky and the Brain. Which uh, is, his brain is indistinguishable from his Orson Welles impression. Well, again, his Orson Welles, imp- his Orson Welles impression is was what he used for the brain. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in great. fact, both uh, Pinky and the Brain and this series have similar parodies of a well-known Orson Welles outtake <laughs> that mm-hmm. is fantastic. But um so you so you got Jay, you've got uh Jay of course has a son Marty. Uh he is separated from or is divorced from his uh, Marty's mother. Um you also have Jay's family in the uh <laughs> 
Franklin and Eleanor, who are these, you know, New York elites that live in a mansion. And uh, you do. Yeah, the, I, I will say the stuff with the dad being kind of this absent minded. I don't know what to call him. Doof, for lack of a better word. Sometimes it would it would get a little old. I I never find the dad in the show old. He's probably my favorite part of the show. I think it's hilarious. Oh, and and I, do, I do not. Well, and so so we should probably get into some of these episodes that we that we reviewed uh, that we watched because some of this stuff plays out. For example, when we meet the dad, it's when Jay is bringing a a date to meet the family, and uh, he warns. Uh, uh, sorry about my dad. He had a he had a stroke a, a few years back. And to which his mother replies, he didn't really. We just used that to explain his personality. Which that joke was fantastic. Um, I also like, I think I think it's in that episode. You really get to see some good, and this is really what I wanted the most out of this show, is some really good commentary on the entertainment industry and how some people think. Like when his boss at... Um, the network is said says to him, you're always supposed to rate movies from good to excellent, <laughs> which it's hilarious because that is how people still look at things like we, we and Drew and I have talked about this about uh, in games journalism a lot is people only think about things from good to excellent. If it's not a nine or 10 out of 10, then they just do not care. How many people look at a game that gets a seven out of 10 and think, oh, the game's trash. You only got a seven. Exactly. That's... It happens so much, even with movies. I mean, if you if you listen back to our Batman v Superman conversation, I think I gave it a six and a half, which I thought was a one, a fair score for the movie. But also, despite how I may overtly feel about the movie culturally, from what I saw, I was like, no, it's got some it's got, it's got some fun stuff. I kind of hate personally where it goes with a lot of it. But, you know. From as far as the the action direction and the casting, there's some really good stuff in it. It's a six and a half out of ten for me. It doesn't mean that this movie is not worth seeing. There's also the argument that when it comes to critics, and this is something that has been happening to critics forever, that you get more viewers, you get more readers, you get more attention when you are overly critical about something. And that's something that also kind of factors into a lot of these, a lot of these stories. Uh, speaking of the first episode, the the premiere called "The Critic," uh, the whole episode revolves around Jay having this this actress come on to his show to talk about her movie that he hasn't seen yet, and they seem to. <laughs> played by Kess from uh, Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, played by Kess from Star Trek Voyager, Jennifer Lean, and. She and he go go home together and they on, on the first date. And then the whole episode revolves around him worried more and more about what's going to happen when he has to review this movie. And what if it's terrible? And what if that means the end of the relationship? And spoiler warning, she's terrible in the movie and he gives it a bad review and she leaves him immediately. And uh it, it, that that part of the episode makes me a little sad because it makes her seem. <sighs> well, it, it's part of the the superficial look at the entertainment industry or, or actresses and actors uh, in general that I think 
falls a little bit on the lazy side. Um, and I, I just, that, that stuff does fall flat for me. There's, there's, there, there are some times when they, they try to, to really kind of stick it to, uh, actors and actresses or the celebrities. I, I kind of wish I get that everyone's fair game, but I, I kind of wish they, they found a good middle ground because some of the stuff is genuinely funny when they get into it, but some of the stuff they take these, these, these low hanging fruit moments and that that one the kind of basic instinct-esque uh actress i just they didn't land for me yeah they also they have to this episode has to set up everything so we have to meet his son we have to meet we didn't even talk about his sister uh we talked we talked a little bit about his boss we meet we meet his 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 buddy uh uh Jeremy, the Australian actor, <laughs> is he supposed to be a like a, a pastiche on Mel Gibson? I guess it's more of a uh, oh, who was the Crocodile Dundee guy? Um, oh, Paul Hogan. Paul Hogan, yeah. Even though they do okay. make her, even though they do make a reference that that uh, in a later episode that he left Australia when he was four, <laughs> which is yes, <laughs> um, which I thought was was pretty great. I, and I I genuinely enjoy him a lot because they they even though he's cartoonishly written and performed in so much as like you know how he's uh, saying things, they give they give him the most kind of straight man stuff to do. Like yeah. he kind of balances out some of this, even though he's got plenty of silly moments, <laughs> especially when he comes to rescue him from uh, his biggest fan. Yeah. Um, God, that was so good. They give him, they, they, they kind of ground him a little bit and he's supposed to be kind of this, uh, I guess like every actor in a sense. And uh, I, I liked that a lot. Uh, I do like his relationship with his sister because there are, there are some points because this this was uh, kind of listed as the the first non-family primetime animated sitcom in in so much that it's not a family sitcom it's like it's not like the simpsons it's, it's not, not like it's family. not the, it's not the flintstones the flintstones was back in the 60s a primetime primetime family sitcom family sitcom that just happened to be animated this this so, is about a a, <laughs> a single guy divorced guy and and his travails and and so sometimes I wish, and again, I, this is this is in '94. This was still kind of experimental ground for primetime television. I wish they had played some of these aspects a little more straight. I think shows uh, that came afterwards learned that pretty quickly. Where there are some parts you stay, you play straight. There's some parts you play for immediate comedy. Uh, the one show that we almost did, and we'll probably do in a future episode, uh, USA Network's Duckman <laughs> did that well. Honestly, as much as I don't like the last few seasons, I think BoJack Horseman pulls that off really well. Um, and, and 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 I don't think any of these shows. Not to say that this show is responsible directly, but the DNA from the that that the critic was one of those things. It's like one of those. One, not even one hit wonder, but one of those short lived things that even though it didn't make a big splash, its influence was really felt. Uh, it's like in music where you have a band's band, where you have a band that might have had a small career, but it influenced so many of your favorite artists. Yes. That even, it's one of those type of things. And I think The Critic was definitely a show for people who were pop culture vultures who were obsessed with this kind of stuff music like as you said uh film buffs 
And I think the people that they inspired went on to perfect the formula that it was working on. Like, well, and I and, mean, and, and we should also after cancellation, this one Family Guy comes out. I think uh, Family Guy was earlier than that. I think, um, but I just want to say, but there's also you have to look at some of the people that worked on this show. For example, Judd Apatow worked on this show. He wrote episodes. Uh, Ken Keeler, who who you know a lot from from uh, The Simpsons, but also one of the big names in Futurama. I mean, there's a lot, of course, a lot of Simpsons DNA in this. A lot of Simpsons writers worked on this as well. It's just it's it's one of these things that it ended up being something that was a starting point for some other people in their careers as they would go on to be much bigger names. Well, and I mean, Judd Apatow is no stranger to creating shows that people love but still got canceled very early. Yeah, that's uh, true. Both Freaks and Geeks and Undeclared are amazing comedies <laughs> and sadly, very, very short lived. Uh, so let's move on to episode two, because this episode, well, let's also clarify. If you're watching it on Crackle or or anything like that, you probably have a, a different episode two than if you watch it on the DVD set. That's because this episode two, Marty's first date was not originally intended to be the second episode. The second episode oh. was intended to be the episode Miserable, which is the misery parody that we will get to. But uh. Uh, <laughs> but ABC did not want that at all. Uh, they did not. Is, is it the first episode? Because I, I want to I make sure there's one episode where he's watching TV with his son. And I want to say it's the first episode. And he's watching Seinfeld, and the kid goes, that's how people really talk. <laughs> because always say about Seinfeld, which is 100% not true. <laughs> I can't it's remember which episode it is. But, but again, it's one of those, one of those great things. So it's a great line. So what's, what's interesting about, the, about this, this second episode, Marty's First Date, is that, again, this episode is so much less focused on the movie critic side. And it's all focused on on Jay and his son trying to navigate his son going on his first date. Uh, that also just happens to be with Fidel Castro's granddaughter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I mean, some, some of these, some of these references really date themselves. Um, and there are some, some very dated and some very problematic jokes. If you are watching this in 2020. Yeah. So basically oh. Jay, Jay's son goes to the United Nations school. So it is an international school where all of the diplomats uh, send send their kids. And I, I, what is the what is the tagline on the sh- the the school? It's something like uh, teaching uh, knowledge and uh, diversity to those who can afford it. I want to say something like that. It's something like that. Which yeah. Is, which is again for the time. Very funny. It, what the things that don't hold up quite as much with that are when you have basically uh, a food fight that happens in the cafeteria. That is basically all of the the nations of the world throwing their respective uh, cultural foodstuffs at each other. The the French kids have baguettes, and the Italians have pasta and meatballs, and and this and this is of course after uh, it was I think it was India and India students and Pakistan students had had a falling out or something like that. It was just a little on the nose, something that again twenty five years ago we may not have paid that close attention to. 
No, and I mean there there's a lot of that throughout what I saw this show. I mean there there are some jokes that now would not fly for people. There is some there's definitely some transphobic jokes. There are there there are jokes that just they do not land. And so if that is something that it, you are going to I don't want to say be upset about because that sounds condescending, but if 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 something if it is something that kind of triggers you, I would be careful navigating through this show, um, because there there are some jokes that they're not usually outright from the ones I saw, but they're 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 not in in the best of tastes. They're che- they're cheap laughs, uh, but mm-hmm. again, there are che- there are cheap laughs that don't work, and there are cheap laughs that really work. For example, they Jay's son sneaks onto a plane and ends up in Cuba. And uh, with chasing Carmen, which is Castro's granddaughter, ar- around as they they kind of go on a little adventure together, and we are introduced to a Cuban anti-America parade featuring their mascot, Auntie America, which is a which, a funny fun. joke. It's yeah. a funny joke. It it works. It, it's a silly pun that works. Um, that yeah, no, I agree. It, it was it was there were there were moments of this that that really worked for me. Um, but at the same time, even though I know it's, it's beforehand, uh, I can think of another show on Fox that probably did this a little bit better and almost very similar, uh, palette styles between, um, the characters in, uh, King of the Hill Hmm. with, uh, Bobby and Connie. Yeah. Although Castro didn't show up in that episode. You might have. King of the Hill. You never know who's going to show up. But um, but I I do agree where it, because it strays so early from the critic style. I I just I don't know if this was the right episode to put second. It's not that I think the episode should have been included in its season, but from what from the six episodes that we saw, um, you know the 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 comedy is a roller coaster for me. Some of it really works. Some of it doesn't. Um, I, I can appreciate it because I grew up in the nineties and my experience with the show was watching it mostly, I think on reruns of comedy central late night. And I have such an affinity for anything that I remember growing up watching late night. It's just something that's embedded in my DNA. Like it's, it's the same way that I have very fond memories of watching all night marathons on the sci-fi channel of MST3K. Like I just have these fun memories associated (laughs) with watching stuff late at night. But I do think that sometimes this show misses the mark in what it could have been. And I don't know if it's because of the grab bag style of stories that they put out. Uh, Also, the first three are all involved with like trying to get like the first first six episodes. It feels like he's always trying to get a new girlfriend. And I feel like that aspect got really old really quickly. Well, this show is is dirty like the the, mm-hmm. the sex I'm fine with that well sex pervades these but keep in mind so uh this aired on nbc and excuse me abc apologies uh would you like to know what it was paired up against or paired up with on on the abc yeah, yeah. let me know home improvement Ooh, ooh. So you, Home Improvement has a history of being paired with things that shouldn't have, like the Dana Carvey like show. Like the Dana Carvey show. <laughs> so you've got so you've got people watching Home Improvement, and then the next animated TV show and animation. Keep in mind, we've had The Simpsons, but 
If you're not, you know, a lot of people still think cartoons are for kids. And all of a sudden you've got uh, Jay hooking up with a projectionist uh, and, and being super excited because, oh, even litter, because littered Malton could walk in at any moment. Uh, it's that was that was a good one. That was a good one. So I, I do want to talk about episode three, because this is one of, I think, the best of the the initial episodes we watched here. In this episode, because it, it focuses on the movie critic side of things, mostly. So it starts out with with Jay as he is reviewing a a film, The Pride of the Yankees, which this this is a very long but very great uh, uh, parody moment. I think uh, it's. It's Lou Gehrig uh, and his famous, you know, I am the luckiest man it's, in the world. Good scene. <laughs> and and as that's going on, all of a sudden, Babe Ruth walks out and says, huh, you know, me and the boys got together and we made you this. And he pulls out this syringe <laughs> and they've cured Lou Gehrig's disease. And not only did they do that, Lou Gehrig can now hit a home run out of the stands. And ah, uh, and that becomes a critic of how, or a critique, excuse me, of how sometimes biopics don't tell the actual story or they change things in order to be, be, you know, more positive or happier. And of course, this is what leads, uh, uh, (laughs) we really need to talk about Jay's boss because we haven't yet. Uh, Duke Phillips, uh, who I love Jay's boss because I think this is where they really get everything right about lampooning, characters in the entertainment industry yes so duke phillips is this sort of southern tinged he's he's basically a ted turner style character he's even got the mustache uh and uh, but he always wears these super tight polo shirts and and duke has this kind of big uh big persona about him and this whole episode is about duke looking at jay's ratings and this is where the the quote that miles uh Miles mentioned, like, you're supposed to rate movies on a scale from good to great. That's what the, what this uh, episode came from. Uh, and and just it, all these things that he tries. So they put him in a a uh, <laughs> an old-timey cabin set, including a stuffed bear. But PETA doesn't like, uh, didn't want you to do a stuffed bear, so they just put a real bear that's heavily sedated. <laughs> Yeah, there's some there's some good funny gags, but those gags to me are Simpsons gags. Like there and, and I am I don't even mean that negatively, but some of the gags that work in the show really well are when it's being like the Simpsons. Hmm. Which is funny because it did so much to try to to not be like the Simpsons. But again, because I, I don't think they picked a lane in how they wanted to present the character. Also, let me say John Lovitz is pitch perfect as Jay Sherman. This is the role that, and, and I mean this with all love, this is the role that he was born to play. It, Absolutely. It his style and cadence and delivery so well that, I, I mean, I just, if they ever were going to bring the show back, which they've, they've kind of done once, you cannot do it without John Lovitz. And, and John Lovitz has two kind of modes. He's got super sarcastic snide, and he's got acting. 
Uh, and and he gets to do both of those really well in this show. It's it, it. He seems to really be having a good time in this. Um, I can. So that's one thing I can definitely tell. Uh, I definitely can tell that the writers, that the creators, that the voice actors really cared about this show. Just because I, I think it's 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 inconsistent in its delivery of of what they were trying to do, doesn't mean I think it was sloppy in in, in respect to how much care went into it. Because a lot of care went into it. I just think that they had a, a grab bag of of angles that they were going, and that didn't always land for me. But I think that all all the all the moving parts about the show work really well. Yes. Oh, I what? lost my ability to speak there for a second. Uh, and, but again, I also love that there are there are lines and, and th- things that feel like they're out of The Simpsons, and then there are things that that are way more out of something you might expect from Family Guy. So this episode features uh, Duke sending a, a Geraldo Rivera to interview Jay and his mom, and and ha- sort of have a nice, fun family thing. And uh, Jay yells at his mom on on set on national television, and it's a huge big deal. And this is all references on references. And of course, the dad comes in. You are disgraced to this family. Now, who wants to boogie with baby thirty <laughs> seven? And he's he's wearing like the 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 New Year's baby from nineteen thirty seven costume, and it's it's <sighs> that kind of stuff is something that is not a Simpsons joke. That's a Family Guy joke. That is one of those things that that is one of those off-kilter, hit-you-from-the-side mm-hmm. moments. And it's that kind of stuff that it, they just they landed when they landed it, but it just didn't connect with people yet. Well, and I also think that because it was kind of consistently doing different things with its A-plots, that, I, I, that might have turned some people off at the time. Like I, I think you can do something like this now. Like if the critic came on Netflix now and you watched, you know, four of these episodes, and you could guarantee that someone got, you know, what they needed to get out of a chunk. But when, but when you're doing week to week, and you're debuting a, a different kind of animated sitcom, I, I feel like they, I think their heart was in the right place. I think a lot of the stuff was was lined up, but I think how they delivered the show just it just didn't and i'm specifically talking about why this show didn't quite land which is what's interesting to me is i'm looking at these numbers like the the premiere episode got 26.5 million views which i know because of its pedigree makes sense and it dropped to about 18 for the second but it stayed in double digits until the final episode but i compare I mean, double, this but double digits in 1994 1995 are different than Right. And well, I was about to say, I, I compare this because I'm thinking of how much things have changed, even within 10 years, because uh, the first season of The Critic, by and large, did better than the first two seasons of The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> and that show, and that ran show for 12 years. Yeah. Or 12 seasons. So, and, and here's another side of this that I think we have to, to kind of investigate, and that they made such a big deal about making this show not the Simpsons or trying to make the show, not the Simpsons that ultimately I think Jay, as much as we like Jay or as much as I personally like Jay and think he's funny, I don't think he's, he necessarily connects on 
a level simply because, like I mentioned earlier, he's not an everyman. He is literally a a a educated Pulitzer Prize winning movie critic. Well, he, I mean, he, he's, he's kind of a jerk, and he's not a he's not a good person. He's selfish. No. He's, he's he's not he's not likable. It's fun to follow his misadventures because they're entertaining. But he's not really the only time he's ever likable is is the fact that he does love and support his sister from and, the episodes we saw and his son. I mean, the problem with his the advice to his son is that it's not great advice because no. he clearly has much deeper issues. But I'm I'm even thinking of one of my favorite moments, which comes in the the next episode, Miserable, where he you know he gets the uh, drugged by his biggest fan. And they they have this moment where he's like, oh, you drugged the wine. No time for adorbs. Well, maybe just one. <laughs> and that's such a Homer Simpson moment. And it's such a Homer Simpson joke, especially from who it's coming from. You can't help but compare those characters. But yeah. again, that DNA is still there from, from Homer to Jay to Peter Griffin. All, any three of those characters, or I mean, all three of those characters would have made that exact same joke. Um, and that's not necessarily a problem. But I think, and I feel like a broken record, but for them to really separate themselves from their prior show, you kind of have to distance yourself from making those kinds of jokes T- to me. Like, yeah. it's it, it's clearly a smart show. It's very, it's very savvy with the stuff it's trying to lampoon. And then it has a fat joke, which just doesn't always work like we get jay's not an attractive guy you don't have to yeah, but that liposuction scene in episode six i think <laughs> it, like it's i don't know it just it, it didn't land for me no uh, I, I, so 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 let's get into episode four because this is probably the episode that that is the most entertaining it is the it is the film reference and film parody probably done the best of these of these that we watched uh, jay gets sent to see a movie that he doesn't want to see he kind of notices somebody's looking at him uh from the projection booth he goes to investigate and ends up uh engaging in adult activities with this woman that is there uh and they don't you know talk or she doesn't know his or he doesn't know her name and there's a a whole thing about that and then it happens again and it happens again and eventually he finally uh gets her to to talk to him and they decide to he she invites him over and all of a sudden it is a misery parody she is his biggest fan she's got all sorts of (laughs) uh the, the the paraphernalia they had around the apartment was great like and it also it made you think of the time like that they actually made VHS tape rewinders. Not every VHS tape player had a rewinder on it, and I forgot that that was a thing. I, I always, I, I, don't, I always thought that it wasn't that they couldn't rewind the tape. It was that it would rewind it faster, so that you could have another tape in your VCR, so that you could. Uh, something else. It, it's possible. I, I think I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like some of them may have not come with rewinders initially. I, I don't. I really don't know. Um, it's, I I always had a rewinder, but it's, it's, it's a joke that if you didn't grow up in that era, you'd be like, what, what is that even referring to? (laughs) 
or the fact that you ha- you have to rewind anything is one of those things that oh, that that's true. I haven't rewound uh, a tape in fifteen years, maybe. It's been a long and, time. It's um. It also contains what I thought was not maybe not most iconic, but I remember when the show came out. This is what every single kid was saying the next day. Buy my book. Buy, Buy my, my book. book. <laughs> Everyone that I knew that watched stuff like this, uh, they were they were saying that the next day, and that was the that was the main line. Other than it stinks, that survived this show. Like we would we would mention buy my book for years. You say that I use Jay's catchphrase Hachi Machi in real life all the time. I uh, mean, I I can say that I forgot about Hachi Machi, but but I, I buy my book was definitely one that that survived the show for for me. Uh, moving on beyond that, uh, beyond this episode, because I, I mean, again, part of this is that these are 20 something minute episodes. And a lot of this is just joke after joke after joke that we don't really. There's Which, not a, I, I noticed the show's got longer, like the first pilot's like 18 minutes long. And then by the time you get to episode six, it's like 24. Hmm. Uh, it's really weird. <laughs> so uh, episode uh, five is uh a little, a little devil do ya, and this actually focuses on Jay's sister Margot, as she is being forced by her mother to uh, have a coming out celebration at a debutante ball. And this is the the first focus that we have on on Margot, who's actually voiced by uh, Nancy Cartwright, aka Bart Simpson. So that's that's a whole other thing, another. Simpsons DNA is all throughout the show. Bart yep. is on this show. <laughs> uh, and this this episode has so little to do with with the movie critic side of things, but is more of an indictment on the the you know upstate New York culture that Jay and his family come from with the debutante ball and the uh and, and and that that whole situation, I l- there is a wonderful quote that I think is is. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Where where the mother is talking about how, um, oh, you'll starve yourself to fit into a dress, to dance with boys who feel you up, to drink so much that you fall into a well. It's a magical night, and that's a horrible night. <laughs> it yeah. sounds like and. It, it, but it's one of these society things that she is expected to do. And the way that the mother gets her to do this is so it's, shocking. It, it's dark. It's and super dark. dark. It's very Bojack Horseman dark. Yeah, well, it's horse something. Uh, we know that Margot loves her horse. We find out at the beginning of this episode, because we this is like one of the few episodes we actually get any character development of any character. Uh, and... Uh, and but every time we've seen her prior she's usually coming in from riding her horse that's true um (laughs) and she uh, has that one line where she wishes she could combine her brother and a horse her two favorite things that's true because that's in like the first episode isn't it but yeah um, it's 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 a it's a weird sequence (laughs) but uh basically the mother's gonna shoot her horse if she doesn't uh participate in the debutante ball so she then uh, says that she will do so, uh, which again leads to one of the dirtiest jokes in the show, and one that I think back to because I think it is hilarious the implications behind it. Uh, she's getting her her debutante gown, and 
And of course, the debutante gowns have to be white. But do you deserve to wear virginal white? Or do you want, do you have to wear hussy white? That joke was pretty great. Yes. Uh, oh, white, white. Except for the gloves. Yes, yeah, that 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 was that that that's the kind of humor that I kind of wanted throughout the entire show. But I also know that because of what they're lampooning in terms of you know how they they talk about the studio exec, they for for network television they could not make that show. And and that's the weird thing about about that because when they have certain jokes that are are that just, they land a certain way. And I don't want to say they're too smart for TV because that's not true. But I think there are certain things that are are better suited for specialty channels. Like if this is on Comedy Central or even Cartoon Network or HBO, as some animated shows uh, became to be uh, in the 90s, I think this this show might have survived. Because it would have already had a niche audience that respected it on a network that did not have uh, mainstream expectations. I, I, because, I, I mean, for them to consider the show a failure, and again, I understand we're talking about the 90s ratings and not ratings now. Like, its ratings were not awful. So for, for it to be considered a, a failure on ABC, those numbers might have been better suited for an HBO or a Showtime. Well, and, and the thing about the show is that from everything I can find, critics enjoyed this show for the most part. Yeah. It was critically, I wouldn't say critically acclaimed, but it was critically enjoyed, especially considering it was about critics. But I, I don't, this show definitely was not a fit for ABC. No, no. And, and not. At all, and and still isn't, and yeah, I mean they're they're way too. There's honestly there's, I I did not remember how much sex was in this show until watching it this time. I mean, it, I because I have late night memories of this show, and it, when I saw it, I think it was mostly on Comedy Central. It fit where it was, you know. That's that's why the USA Network put Duckman at like. 10 o'clock on Saturday nights or something. Yeah, but Duckman and the Critic are very different in the in in the levels of darkness and weirdness that they got into. Sure, but I, I do feel like it had it been on a different network at a different time slot, I don't think this is prime time material. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way to the show. I, I think it was better suited for the late night crowd. So in everything in watching this, I think that this show, I, I, I don't know this for a fact. We know how Matt Groening reacted to the crossover episode. He did not want the crossover episode with the Simpsons to happen. He did not want his name associated with this show. I don't know. I mean, which is funny because he seemed to still be totally fine with all the people working on the critic. He just didn't well, like there's a Simpsons gag in this, um, in the six episodes, they have a little Homer gag. Uh, yes, it's after um, it's it's in the the uh, Marty's first date where where uh, Marty has disappeared and Jay is running to for to his parents for help, and then suddenly he shows up on TV, and the dad says, "Well, just reach in and get him." That's uh, that's how I met the Fonz, and that joke goes away, and then Jay leaves to go find, get on 
sneak into Cuba. Uh, and then they change the channel and it's the Simpsons. And I believe the dad says at some point, like, ah, now this is a show I understand. <laughs> and which is, I guess, more a dig at the audience. I don't know. It didn't. Well, but also I think at the time there was some, I would say friction between uh, Brooks and Grinning. And I mean, I I don't know. I think I think there might have been this kind of sense of entitlement in terms of, oh, I'm I'm the only person that can do this kind of animated show. That, I mean, that, it's you, you say that, but again, the creators of this show, after wrapping this show, after doing the two seasons, went back to work on The Simpsons. I mean, it's it. Well, yeah, because I mean, they're, they're not dumb. If the show that they were working on fails, they're going to go back to working on the on the juggernaut. Sure, but, gonna- but I guess what I'm saying is, it, it, with with graining at the helm, like one of the creators of this of of this show is currently the showrunner for The Simpsons. The, I mean, you can still have a problem with somebody and and still work on a show. I mean, like, because Brooks flat out said that his behavior was rotten and it's not pretty when a rich man acts like this. Yeah, which is. I mean, like there were some I'm things saying, said. You can th- things can can calm down also after a while. It's not like they felt like this forever. But I do think at that's the time, grading was being a little bit of a brat about it. Uh, that, that's just my personal opinion. I mean, that that, that is that based on what I've read, that is what that feels like and seems like. I can't speak to the actual situation because it wasn't there. I don't it, know. It's just that that is that is the impression that I get. And I mean, that, that it's fine. And people, people have, you know, scuffles. I mean, Lord knows that Drew and I are not always sunny towards each other, you know, <laughs> and we've been doing this show for eight years. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's not that I don't love Drew. I do love Drew, but sometimes we just don't always agree. It's not a big deal. Things happen. I didn't want to do the crossover episode with, uh, never mind. I don't gotta say that because I didn't have a, didn't have a lot of uh, uh, other show lined up. Uh, uh, I, I think did, we did a crossover show with Cosmic Crit once, didn't we? Did we just like <laughs> that was the launching off point? I think so. It was something like that. Uh, so, uh, but rounding out this episode, we've got maybe one of the longest, uh, uh, another another deep film comparison in that we have Jay who gets fired after his thousandth episode. And then has to kind of work his way back up to to be a critic again. And he needs to write something that's going to win another Pulitzer Prize so we can get his job back. And da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, this whole episode features both direct and indirect references to Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which is, which is interesting. This is also the episode that has the fantastic Maurice LaMarche Orson Welles impression. It also has uh, to talk about fantastic people. Phil Hartman as Adolf Hitmaker. Adolf Hitmaker, Phil Hartman. He, he actually appeared in. Uh, um, he appears as multiple characters. He is also Jay's. Um, no, Adolf Hitmaker was in. Uh, uh, was in an earlier episode. Uh, was he? Nope. That was. No, I'm. I'm wrong. That was just the actual direct comparison that Jay is less popular than Adolf Hitler. Right. Uh, uh, but uh, Phil Hartman also plays Jay's agent and Jay's former college professor. Which is all in this episode. Yeah. Uh, 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 he- I, 
I'm a I'm a big fan of Phil Hartman. I I, I loved him on SNL even as a kid. Um, and you know, obviously, things didn't didn't go great well, there. And and, and, um, and so it, Phil Hartman and and uh, uh, John Lovitz are or were uh, really you, really you, close you know, in real life. Yeah, if you don't know who Phil Hartman is, he was a very uh, popular uh, comedian in the '90s. He was um, unfortunately m- uh, murdered, and uh, it, it's a whole. Uh, it's a very, very, very sad story. It's a very uh, long and very sad story that I don't really want to get yes, into. Same, but uh, he was he was he was a amazing comedian, and people loved working with him. And I, I think you're right, Drew. I think that he and Lovitz were really good pals. They were really, really close. In fact, if you recall, Phil Hartman's show News Radio, where he was uh, after Phil's death, they tried to keep the show going. And the person that took Phil's place on that show was John Lovitz. That's right. Um, which Let's talk a little bit about Lovitz, because he's had a weird career. Um, yeah. From, from, from doing, I mean, he, he's, he's honestly, he's always been a good comedian but he's always been given roles not dissimilar from 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 jay he's 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 often the sardonic uh person um or he's kind of the toady you know villain character like in mom and dad save the world um but i i always think that he's had more to bring to the table than he was uh given credit for and I, I am glad that he has remained friends with a lot of his comedian friends because a lot of times they give him at least roles. I know, I know, Adam Sandler has been very good to him. Well, so, so that's the thing about John Lovitz is that if you if you look at John Lovitz and you look at John Lovitz's most well known characters, because again he was on Saturday Night Live, he started on Saturday Night Live in that weird year where you had Anthony Michael Hall and Robert Downey Jr. and yeah, they were on Saturday Night Live. You may not remember that, but that was a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the very iconic, uh, because that was at, that was during a time when Lord Michaels had left the show, and somebody else was running it. And uh, Lord Michaels came back, and there was a very a very funny bit about uh, <laughs> basically they were going to set the studio on fire. Oh no, there's a fire! And except Lauren comes out and says, uh, "John, come over here with me." And so John gets saved from the rest of the cast burning alive. It's a very funny bit to me. Yeah, I thought at the time. Um, but he's a character like his most well-known characters on Saturday Night Live were the uh, the compulsive liar, the uh, yeah, that's the ticket, yeah, yeah, and the uh, the master thespian uh, acting. Um, there's a lot of Matt Berry in that performance. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Hanukkah Harry was a, was a was a big one for him, and I mean, he was he was a good character actor on SNL. He's a good character actor in general. He's usually brought on to be specific roles, and I feel like him as Jay is just he fits like a glove because it feels like all of the John Lovitz characters that he has portrayed before and since rolled into one thing supposedly if according to uh, commentary on the dvds al gene and mike reese who created this show they were creating a live action tv series that was going to feature a critic character as part of it and like who can we cast for that who love it 
John Lovitz, let's get him. Let's say contact him. And, and, you know, he didn't want to commit to live action, but all of a sudden, all they could think about is John Lovitz as a critic character. And since he couldn't do live action, well, let's do animation. And all of a sudden the critic was born. Uh, he was <laughs> kind of the, he, he prevented whatever other show they were going to work on from, from happening. Uh, and it really does, it really does show this show was really a fantastic outlet for him. Uh, Unfortunately, it didn't work out. So let's talk about some of the stuff that happened in the in-between. So, of course, we have the move for the cancellation by ABC. Well, all the Simpsons DNA, let's just bring bring everything over to Fox. Season two happens. And again, we also have to clarify, these are short seasons. There are mm-hmm. 13 episodes in the first season and 10 episodes in the second. When you think about TV TV back in the 90s, your season orders were typically 24 episodes, I want to say. Somewhere in, about right. Somewhere in that, in that area. Um, and season two focuses a little bit more on, on, a, lo- on a more ongoing uh, situation. Jay starts a relationship with a woman named Alice, who is again herself a a a divorcee with a child, and and so there's more of a, a through line. There's less of the you know hooking up with people left and right that seems to go on in the first season. Uh, they also tend to to lean in <laughs> to uh, to the to the mom and dad. They get uh, a couple of episodes that are really really bonkers and hilarious uh where they go on a, a a they get stranded lost at sea because their plane goes down but uh the whole circumstances around that are very funny uh duke also runs for uh duke, jay's boss runs for president at one point and uh we find out that jay's dad is the former governor of new york <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there's a especially for New Yorkers. There's a lot of like really specific references that I don't get, and I know that they had said that this was their kind of love letter to New York, and I mean, and that's fun. I mean, I think some of the bits still work, even if I don't understand them completely. Um, Duke Phillips. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think you're right in in the comparison to Ted Turner. Um. Because especially at the time, that's he was kind of the TV mogul. Yeah. Um, and I, it's it's funny because I, I do get why it got the second short season because even the the Simpsons started off with thirteen episodes. So I, I I get that, and when it when it moved to Fox, I think they also probably wanted to to kind of test the ground a little bit to see if they could still make it work. And uh, unfortunately, even though it, apparently it seemed to be doing better, they still decided to cancel the show. Well, and again, as we've, we've talked about, this is like a like you've got an actor's actor, comedian's comedian. This is an animated comedy person's animated comedy. Oh, this is this is this is definitely a, a show for people who are pop culture junkies. Like and I think that's where where the problem lies is you have two networks who want big time mainstream, like the, the highest common denominator in terms of their ratings and their show material. And for a show that they're expecting to do Simpsons level stuff, it's, it's just not going to happen. 
I, I feel I feel like they I know that this kind of happened while The Simpsons was still on the rise, but maybe not necessarily when it was as meteoric. Like that was just starting to happen. When so they it was in season five or six when this was going on, and oh, that okay. is that that is quote true Simpsons fans like sweet spot sweet spot for I I mean that's a whole other argument that I'm not going to get into right now. No, 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 Maybe at the right time. I mean, they're, they're all, someone always has to be first. And the DNA of the critic is in so many shows that came after that were successes. And and the people that worked in the show were were clearly successful after. I mean, Judd Apatow is a massive name now. And yeah, he had to he had to basically have two critics uh, in in Fuchs and Geeks <laughs> and um, Undeclared before he you know hit big with the movies. But, I mean, it's it's a sad happenstance. I mean, we've seen it happen a million times. I mean, this is a nerd show, so we all know what happened to Firefly. I mean, this thing happens. This is not a surprise that a show that might have been a little bit ahead of its time and was doing something very, very different with a format that was not entirely proven outside of a massive hit. I mean, it's just it's, – it, it's sad, but it, it had to happen to a show. And, and, and you know it, it it lives on in DVD sales. The DVDs were well crafted. They put, did put commentaries on almost every episode. They had a ton of stuff go on, and and they knew that they were going to they, they were going to to have to put out something quality because they knew they had dedicated fans of the show for as little as it was. They actually brought this show back, and these are episodes that I've never seen before. Uh, for yeah, a series, like should have watched some of these too for the yeah for the episode. So so they are webisodes basically. They were created in shockwave animation. Uh, I guess I, that that brings me back so far. Yeah, the shockwave shockwave <laughs> before it was bought by Adobe uh, and rolled into Flash, and uh, it was basically little three or four or five minute episodes that were mostly Jay reviewing actual movies instead of fake movies. Cause every movie, every movie that Jay reviews is typically a parody of a real movie or multiple real movies. Um, which we didn't, we didn't really talk about a lot of the other ones outside of the alien three one, but just really fantastic home alone five with a 23 year old. Kevin is a cheap joke, but a very funny joke. Um, but so like the first episode is in the year 2000 and they, he reviews X-Men and then later on he reviews star Wars episode one and pulp fiction. <laughs> so although apparently the, the Pulp Fiction is a is a spoof and not a real one but um I I, I would love to see uh because some of these feel like random choices because I forgot that they were pretty popular back when they came out but like so Castaway makes sense but the second movie that episode is The Legend of Bagger Vance which is probably the first time I've mentioned that title in a long time and it was a box office bomb um and it's a movie I saw in theaters, and, and I mean, and I feel like I enjoyed it, but it, it's it's not a movie that I would have thought this should uh, be in the critic. I have never seen The Legend of Bagger Vance. However, uh, the theater or the the technical director of the theater that uh, 
uh, at the college we went to uh, worked on that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Um, but I, I think that I, I'm honestly surprised with Lovett's willing to work with with stuff like this that this hasn't come back in a full form. Because I mean, yes, the webisodes are are one thing, but I'm I'm really surprised with the pedigree of the show, with the the love that this show has in terms of its of its cult fan base and the stuff that it inspired. I am I am honestly very surprised that there hasn't been some sort of revival for the critic. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's been twenty years, literally, since any of this stuff has happened. Didn't stop uh, Full House. Didn't stop Full House. That's true. Uh, it just at this point, you have a lot of people that, I mean, Full House lives on because it was children and now they are adults in their thirties and forties. Sure. That, that's fine, but I'm just saying. It, it's I mean, pop- John Lovitz is how old now? <laughs> John Lovitz really seems to never age to me. He's 62 years old, but he's looked the same for about 30 of those years. He's only 62. That's actually younger than I would have expected. But uh, there are, of course, unfortunately, some characters or some actors that were on the show have passed away since then. Um, So uh, the actor who played Duke Phillips has passed away. The actress who played uh, Doris, his uh, hairdresser, uh, who was also Lunch Lady Doris on The Simpsons. Uh, She actually passed away shortly after the second season uh she, she, well, but here's the thing is you 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 wouldn't if they're doing a critic now you wouldn't be having him on a tv show you would have him in some sort of uh youtube show or streaming show which which some of them are still like done like tv shows i mean like or netflix show like the i think norm mcdonald had one and uh, uh dave letterman's done one so i mean you still can have it but you can do it differently so you may not need, need to have uh, the duke phillips it could be something different well um, let's, let's pitch it miles let's pitch it you and me oh oh boy <laughs> you're john lovitz <laughs> so with that said we watched six episodes i think in hindsight we should have mixed up a little bit more of of what was going on in some yeah, of these. I, I, watch some from season two watch some of the the shorts yeah, I, I think just for me, I would have gotten a little bit more of of the show's personality. Like I said, I, I think some of the show works. A lot of times I felt like, man, if I didn't grow up in the era that I did, I wouldn't get some of this. Um, but I'm also a film buff, so I, I can kind of see the, I can see your argument for that. I mean, uh, the, the things that I think work really well are the film critic comparison, the film critic critiques, the the movie references the things that i think don't work well are the fat jokes the the cheap shots that they take and and that's something that i feel like if they had just had a little bit more time they could have honed in on what was definitely working about the show and what wasn't working about the show i i 100 agree i wish they had found that direction earlier because i know i said it a million times in this episode but because I love the concept, and when it's doing the movie stuff, when it's doing the entertainment industry stuff, I think it works really well. I think it's it was definitely ahead of its time in what it was trying to do in the format that it was on, and I definitely think it's worth looking back on. Even even if you're you know maybe not born before two thousand, I think I think there's some episodes that still work, especially if you want to study 
a time period or comedy, I think there's some really good stuff that you can still uh, mine from this show. Uh, I'm I'm glad we watched it. I I'm probably going to still watch a little bit more of it. I think I am too. I'm definitely going to try to track down the shorts because I never saw those. Yeah. Um, and also, it also reminds me of a specific time. So I, I'm glad we gave this a second chance. And I, I, I do like highlighting it because looking at what went wrong is, is, is honestly kind of fascinating because I feel like this show could have been a bigger thing than it was. And it's kind of sad that it wasn't, but you know, it, it still lives on. Well, with that said, that is going to wrap up our discussion of the critic. Um, Miles, uh, we're not going to do a second chance next week, are we? Well, we kind of are. Huh? Uh, because Well, because it fits with almost everything I have ever challenged on my birthday. <gasps> It's Miles' birthday next week. Yes, birthday That's, challenge. We are still doing birthday challenges on the more you nerd, and uh, in in fashion, I am picking a movie that I love that is a little bit more cult and definitely needs to be seen by more people. In the past, I've done stuff like Arcade and the Monster Squad, which is probably the most popular thing I've I've picked. Uh, or even the American martial arts classic Surf Ninjas. Uh, so next week, we are going to be looking at a, a foreign film. It is a Japanese movie called Fish Story. And that sounds kind of boring. But it's not. Uh, to give you the elevator pitch... A rare musical single by an obscure rock band makes a strange voyage through time and space in a science fiction tale from Japanese filmmaker Yoshihiro Nakamura. Um, It is a Pulp Fiction-esque love letter to not just music, but the positivity of the human spirit. And it's a movie that I think more people need to see, especially given the times. Uh, this movie has a little bit of everything for everyone. There are some funny moments. There are some romantic moments. There's even a moment that feels like it could have been in a horror film. There's science fiction. There's music. There is a lot in this movie, and it's done in a kind of pulp fiction style. And it is just a beautiful, beautiful expression of hope. And... It was one that I almost pitched for our comfort food uh, <laughs> series and a movie that I've written about. Like I do sometimes do a uh, little uh, cult movie reviews on medium. And this, this movie is one that warms my heart. It's, it's not very uh, long or at least it doesn't feel very long. It is, however, a little difficult to find. Oh, good. Thanks uh, for that. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm letting you borrow my copy. Now, uh, they, they are this summer putting it out in, on Blu-ray. So uh, if you can track down a copy between now and next week, please do. I know that some – I think it might be streaming in some spots, but it kind of changes. It used to be on Netflix, and now it's not. So it pops around a little bit. So you might have to do some, some, some searching online. But uh, – I, I I am so excited to share this one. I think it's a really fun movie. I think, Drew, I think you're going to dig it. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about this next week. 
excited. This sounds a little bit like Survive Style 5 Plus that we watched a while back. Um, it's not as insane as that, but um, you are you, if if that's the movie you're thinking about, you are in a good spot. <laughs> uh, also, go find Survive Style 5 Plus. That was a great... Uh, Such a good movie. Great movie. I also want to clarify, there is also a... Uh, a 2017 movie called Fish Story, yes. which is a uh, a Welsh film. Yes, uh, this is a, not, a 2009 Japanese movie. Yeah, so not that one. So, uh, although, um, although that one is available on Amazon Prime. <laughs> yes, uh, this is this is one that has. I mean, it was a film festival darling, and this just happens sometimes to genre films that somehow it's just slip under the cracks and and usually after an audience is loud enough it starts getting better releases and that's what's starting to finally happen 11 years later to this movie um i am very very excited to to watch this with you next week for my birthday all right man i can't wait uh, so in the meantime if you would like to get in touch with us you can find us at the uh the at gmail.com for our dusty empty inbox uh, twitter.com slash the more you nerd or at the more you nerd at facebook.com slash the more you nerd uh, we will see you guys next week as we end the show as we always do with a rousing nerd, nerd out. out it stinks <laughs> 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 <laughs>